This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny K, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. I'm excited. We got a great show for you. Joining us, as always, is the Luke Summers and Steve Playtech. What's going on, guys? What's up, Denny? What's Denny? And we got a special guest on the line, Jesse Burdick. What's going on? Hey, guys. How are you? What's going Excellent. on, Jesse? Excellent. Wellborn's out there. Um, he's going to be joining us as soon as he wraps up a few things. But, Luke, oh, let's no. just start with, uh, with – any updates regarding Wade's wings? I think we should we should just give a little insight on to what happened just before we started recording. I agree 100% here. So we dial John in. John's one of the busiest fucking people around. And all we hear is screaming children, like uh, <laughs> like kindergarten cop style. And uh, we're trying to get the show rolling. He's like, hang on, hang on. I'm at the doctor. I got to give my kids some shots. So it was like, what kind of slaughter was going on on the other end of that phone? His poor daughters are getting shots at the doctor. He's trying to run a podcast. Mr. Multitask. It's great. Dude, you know, they always ask, uh, like, the dads to hold those kids down. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's the worst because you just feel terrible, too. I know you feel horrible. You you pinch your kids and stuff, but your kids just looking at you like, what's going on? I don't have that problem. I just got to take the dogs to the vet and they just look at you and get shot. And then they won't talk to you for the rest of the day. I mean, they, it's like you, you double cross them, you know, it's you true. try and butter up and get them drinks and snacks and they just give you that look like, well, you're getting your kids drinks. I know. Denny, what are you admitting to here? Denny, this is, this is, <laughs> well, this is a really interesting like booze and tobacco to their, to their kids after shots. I mean, that's what we do here. I Just, that was normal. Yeah, Jesse, Jesse, that's how we do it in Chicago. You know, you're raised on bloody Marys and cigars. Chicago, Chicago. <laughs> Come on, honey. Let's go out for a bloody Mary and a cigar after those, <laughs> after your three-year-old shots. You deserve it. Exactly. Now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. <laughs> all right let's okay let's let's re-rail off this derail um what'd you ask me denny wade's wings <laughs> oh dude where we at? i know we're kicking ass yeah we're crushing it we i think as of today we're at like 22 grand which is eight grand away from our thirty thousand dollar goal um a couple all-star teams out there crossfit freddie put this up on his page and he blasted up to first place he's raised crossfit one world has raised like uh, 2,600 bucks, uh, CrossFit, CrossFit South Bend and CrossFit syndicate are in first and, or second and third place, just smashing it at uh, 1900 and 1700 respectively. But, uh, we're getting an awesome response. It's the final push. We're putting in our shirt order literally today. Uh, we're going to get the shirts in about seven to 10 business days. And then I'm going to spend a weekend, uh, packing them up and shipping them out. So people have some gear to wear for the workout on, on the 12th of November. So we're crushing it. Uh, just got to keep that final push going. So if you haven't donated, do it. If you haven't started a team, it's not too late. There's all sorts of legit shit to get around, uh, um, to earn in terms of raising some funds for, you know, for, for this cause here. 
So Dude, for idiots gotta, like uh, me who don't know how to turn on uh, computers, can you explain to some of the listeners how we can sign up and how we can donate? Where do we need to go? How do we get that done? Sure. Fun fact. <clears throat> fun fact. Uh, and we'll get right back to it. Jesse does know how to turn on a computer. Uh, <laughs> or how to use his phone. So, uh, so for those of you who are are technologically impaired, go to the computer, hit the button that looks like a circle with a line through it that turns it on, <laughs> uh, and then uh, go to go to the interwebs. Go to wadesarmy.powerathletehq.com, and uh, right there on that website, you're going to get a couple of options. You just click on the old picture that says either start a team, donate as an individual, or start a fundraiser. And and once you get there, it's it's pretty point and click. But if <clears throat> if you need any help, email Wade's Army at powerathletehq.com and they'll make it happen for you. So we have a awesome. We're all ready to rock. Uh, full support. We just want to got to get through this last climb and start uh, and blast through that thirty thousand dollar mark. Awesome. Hey, talking of going back to the shirt order. Um, I have a friend who didn't write down the uh, like the donation you code that you get after you've donated. And uh-huh. when you go to place your shirt order and ask for that code, um, Listen, is Denny, there any way to, Denny, to kind of, all you, you know, ha- all you, all you're going to have to do, or I mean your friend, uh, just right. e- <laughs> email that Wade's army email address and uh, we'll get back to you. We had, the, we have three people working <clears throat> on the, on the, fundraiser and we'll be able to find it for you <laughs> okay so yeah cool. you, i'll let this person know that thanks <laughs> if you lost <laughs> that info uh hit us up and we'll be able to get it to you all right uh how, how was the germany seminar <clears throat> oh dude it was uh the seminar itself was interesting jesse have you done any um have you done any international seminars yet no, I haven't had a chance to, but um, I've been asked to do a bunch, and I I would really like to do it. Uh, I gotta I gotta assume it's kind of just a the whole thing is a pretty surreal experience. Well, it was it's interesting in terms of you do, I mean, you speak with hundreds of people throughout the year in in the states, whether it's through your gym, on the phone, customer service, uh, at the store, at a seminar. And you just become so ingrained in the culture and how to manage the experience through that culture. And Germany is completely different. And, uh, you know, we rely on humor, which is clearly we're not funny and it's pity laughs most of the time at the seminar. But yes, uh, the German sense of humor is completely different. And um, uh, but so it was a struggle in the sense on that end. And uh, but communication was okay. Um mostly English speakers. I think a lot of people thought it was going to be, uh, just ride this one out and collect my cert and I'm on my way. But for anyone who's been to the seminar, we, we take a very deep dive into your assignment, which is, which you have to complete Saturday night and turn in Sunday morning. And then we spend an hour or two reviewing it. And, uh, you know, hopefully the criticism came off as, uh, our attempt to educate, but uh, a lot of the programs that were turned in needed to uh, we needed to reevaluate. And then we even had three guys and they were pretty good sports about it. <clears throat> but three guys turned in the exact same programming with inten- <laughs> with intentionally different layouts and like different size paper and different like they went through a lot of effort to make it look like they didn't turn in the same thing. But uh, we snagged them up on that. And uh, but it was good. You know, it what. uh what was even better is Tex and I were out there running the show and our host out there, Drake, he's on the level one staff and uh, him and his guys out at Reebok Cross at Nuremberg. They know how to treat 
a seminar staff. They had coffee for us. They had coffee for everybody. They had lunch cooking up and everything. And then uh, even got us some tickets to Oktoberfest, which was a blast. Nice. That's awesome. I know uh, Starrett's over there right now. He's been uh, texting me and emailing me about he's kind of doing a Europe swing and he's at the same place that you guys are just at saying it's just um, it's just amazing. But kind of the same thing. I mean, it's uh, uh, the the biggest thing is, you know, we feel as seminar um, staff that we're uh, that we're kind of on stage, whether we actually are or are not. Um, that's kind of our stage. And um, when none of our materials work in, I mean, it. Uh, <laughs> you, you kind of you're like, man, that's killed everywhere else. Why isn't anyone laughing? They're just staring at me and it can kind of throw you off. And Kelly, even Kelly's doing the same thing where he's, you know, saying some of the Kellyisms and all this other stuff. And it's just like crickets, crickets. Yeah, it's dude. just crickets. And he's just like, I thought I was fun. Am I funny? Like, no, you're, you're good. You're Kelly. You're, you know, quirky and funny. I'm like, they don't think I'm funny. They think they, they don't think I'm funny. Like, wow. Well, oh, I can totally is. hear the Kelly star at like neurosis spinning right there. Oh, I've seen, oh there, there's it's Jan. Like, hey everybody. It's Jan. Oh. <laughs> John, Jesse's just bashing my accent. Oh, is he? Uh, well, I mean, come on, dude. I mean, he, he, uh, Jesse, you met Denny. He was on the uh, the bear skit on Saturday Night Live. He was the guy with the uh, the Ditka hat on, and like he's actually in the new commercial right now for uh, Discount Double Check, where he's got the grill class. So you you got to stick with him a little bit. We were just talking about that before the show started. <laughs> double Discount. check, double check. It's awesome. How, how are the girls, John? Oh, they're good. Today was their uh, two-year checkup. So Jamie was 37 and a half inches, which, you know, the doctor gives you a rough, like you double whatever height they are at two. So that puts Jamie at like 6'3", I think, is what they uh, they tallied her out at. And it puts Killy at like, I think she was uh, 5'11", or 5'10", I think. And they weighed, I think, like 32 and 29 and a half pounds. So they, uh, wow. they weighed pretty good. Yeah, they were like 37 and 35 inches tall. So they did pretty good. And, um, yeah, they passed all their little tests and, you know, they're speaking and, uh, you know, climbing and, you know, just like kids, but it's always funny to go into these, like, uh, as new parents, you go into this, like, uh, you know, doctor's office and the doctor's like asking you these questions and you're like hoping to God that like, you know, your kids are normal or at least like advancing properly. You know, you're like kind of like looking for, you know, like a little reassurance, like we haven't completely fucked everything up and (laughs) like, yeah, yet. So you know, the fact like, you know, you're kind of like hoping like, oh, that's good. This is normal. They're doing things and they're playing and like, you know, coming up with words and they can point to stuff. And we, you know, we've been putting a lot of work in, uh, you know, with the learning. And so it was good. And then you get a little validation. And then she's like, well, your daughters are, I think Jamie was like a hundred percent in height and a hundred percent in weight and like 90% in head. And then Killy was like 75 said five. So she's like, well, based on the standards, they should probably be like five, 10 and six feet three. I was like, no way. She's like, well, that's a rough guessment, but we don't think that's accurate. I'm like, uh, and then they go, well, it'll be somewhere between you and your wife. And I'm like, well, I'm six, five and my wife's five, two. So anywhere between, um, anywhere between five, two and six, five, I guess is a, is a pretty safe bet. I'll believe that there's somewhere in that range. Yeah. I, w- I would say that's a pretty safe estimate. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm sure they'll weigh somewhere between 300 pounds and 30 pounds too. in their yeah. life. Yeah, so it's and, just, ho- and hopefully not both. Yes. Yeah. I hope one isn't 30 and one's 300. Uh, the other one is, is, um, uh, 
you know, there's uh, a lot of interesting stuff coming out with vaccinations right now. And like there was a big thing on Facebook where, uh, you know, people are claiming that the government's now, uh, you know, claiming that some of the vaccinations are what's kind of leading to this autism thing. And so you go in there and when the girls were born, they were born early and they were like four pounds and five pounds. So they were really, really small. And I remember they came in the first day, they weren't even like 24 hours old and they wanted to pump them full of all these, uh, uh, you know, uh, injections of, uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, vaccinations. And I kind of freaked out a little bit. And I was like, you know, I saw these big needles and my little girls like fit in like the palm of my hand. I'm like, no, 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 dude, we're not going to do this. So I waited until they were like nine months old to start vaccinating them. And I only vaccinated them for things that I knew would kill them. So like things like chicken pox, kids need to get chicken pox. And I kind of have this idea that, or looking at the schedule things that we got when I was born in 76, like we only got vaccinated for things that were going to kill you. Like uh, tetanus is going to kill you like polio. I mean, big things like that. So we kind of stuck with that. And so we didn't finish up the vaccination. So just as you guys called on my Skype on my phone, I was just about to hold down a two-year-old that was about to get injected for uh, DTAP, I think. So I was like, let me call you back because this is going to get spicy. So that's why I was running a little bit late, but the girls are doing good. And uh, it's definitely, um, you know, this whole vaccination thing is kind of a hot bug because, uh, you know, when, I, when we were born, Jesse, it was like one out of every 500,000 kids had autism. And now it's like one out of 50 and like parents are like losing their minds. Cause I mean, you know, it goes from like, you know, autism was something that rain man had to like, uh, you know, one out of 50 kids. I mean, that's multiple kids in your neighborhood are diagnosed with autism. I mean, Josh Everett's going through it right now with his little boy, the lift up Luke foundation. And, uh, people are looking around. Is it, you know, is it the vaccinations? Is it the food? Is it uh, environmental? I mean, you know, the other one they can't, explain. And I, I, I called Lalonde on this and, you know, tapped him in and Lalonde has kind of taken this as his kind of personal mission to figure this thing out a little bit, which is good for, for anything that when you can get Lalonde motivated to check something out, that's good. Um, he, I asked him, I was like, why is it attacking boys more than girls? And he's like, I have no idea, but you know, there's something that we're missing and it's, it's pretty scary deal, especially as a father and you guys are all fathers too. So, you know, the, the fear that you have is like, you're like, Oh my God, like this is, this is something that we got to figure out. So it's definitely, uh, uh, you know, definitely puts it all in perspective when you go to that two year checkup and you're like, you know, looking at the doctor being like the kids are normal, right? Just, just let me tell me that they're normal and they get a chance to kind of go on a little bit farther, you know? Yeah, for sure, dude. Those those vaccinations. I mean, it, I do the same thing. I only feel comfortable with them getting the ones that I did. But when you see all these alternate ones, even like a flu vaccination, I don't. It's like fuck that. You know, I don't. Well, it's, I, I kind of feel the same way. It's like I don't need you to give me a, a any kind of medicine for every little thing that's out there. You know, I want my immune system to kind of work on its own. Well, the, the interesting one too, is the way our bodies work is, um, it's just like, you know, stress is really everything like strength and, 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 uh, muscle is a side effect of stress and adaptation of stress. I mean, you create the stress and all of a sudden your body responds to it. The same thing with the immune system. If you are constantly bombarding the immune system, we're not forcing it to work. I don't think the immune system strengthens in the same way. And, um, it's kind of an interesting deal when you look and like, I remember my experience with the flu shot was, uh, one year in the NFL, like the team pretty much mandated all of us to get they were like you know you don't have to get it but we want every person to get a flu shot so everybody got in line and got a flu shot it was the only year i got sick from the flu and i got really really sick and i was like oh maybe it's a flu shot that made me sick and then we learned that the strain of flu that was going around was different than the strain that they injected us from 
And at that point, I'm like, so wait a minute, the flu shot's just one strain that they're guessing is going to come out. And they were like, yeah, I'm like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to take my chances. So I haven't got a flu shot and haven't got six cents. So I don't know if that's dumb luck or reasoning or what, but it, um, it, you know, and, and it, it goes back, I think, you know, in terms of medicine and a lot of this stuff, like we really believe that there's this like absolute that like, okay, the flu shot's going to block you from getting the flu. And we don't really realize that there's a lot of guesswork and there's a lot of chance and, you know, people are fallible and this is the, the best guess that we can make at the time with the information we have. And it might not be right. And I think like, you know, we put our faith so much in these things and like we put our faith and don't always be proactive and, you know, things like, you know, uh, like the big, I, I think the big problem we're running into now is people are so overly cleaning their kids with like antibacterial soaps and cleaning and like making sure that they're in this non-germ environment. And if you think about it, you need germs. Like it's more like let your kid go out and eat some dirt. Don't wash their hands all the time. Like, you know, like if you're going to wash their hands, don't use, you know, they need bacteria, they need germs and like let kids go out and swing and run around and drink out of hoses and, you know, all this other stuff. And now it's filtered bottled water and everything's cooked and homogenized and pasteurized and, you know, don't get dirty. Let me clean your hands. And like these kids are growing up in these sterile environments. And then all of a sudden, you know, they don't have the defenses. They don't have the strength. They haven't built up the stress and the adaptation to necessarily fight the big things. And I think that's where some of this is coming from. You know, I mean, I, I remember going, I mean, I, I don't ever remember wash. I think I remember the one time I washed my hands when I was a kid was when I took a shower was in the pool and I didn't even, and I, I looked at the pool with chlorine as taking a shower. So I didn't take a shower after I got out of the pool either. Yeah. And then what, and the, what we, we played all day. We, you know, soccer, baseball, all these things. I don't ever remember washing my hands. I remember my mom would say to you, Hey, wash your hands for dinner. And what would you do? You would just like slowly, like just Flash them underneath the water for a split second. I mean, soap, I never use soap. And so, um, it's kind of a, a very, very different thing that now we're so paranoid and I mean, rightly so, man, there's a lot of crazy shit out there. And it's just, um, I just wonder if our desire to like do so much and be so proactive and so good is actually hindering us a little bit, you know? And so, but unfortunately nobody really knows. And it's, uh, it's just kind of a scary consequence, you know? So I'll get off my soapbox and now bring it back to a more, more positive tone. So Jesse, how's your tan? <laughs> Jesse, you there? We lose Jesse. We, we lost our guest. I think he just does not use his phone. Oh, dude. There I, press it is. The I press the wrong button. I pressed mute. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, I asked, how's your tan? Is it looking good? I mean, you know, tan oh. and shaved and. Absolutely, man. I mean, there's a, for everyone who needs to know, it's called Melanotan 2. <laughs> Go <laughs> out there, dude. Up on the interwebs, and you're all good, man. Dude, but that's also an aphrodisiac, as what I remember. Uh, it's it's amazing. It's actually like the it's it's such a great um well let's just call it a research chemical because it's a family family show. Um, but it's remarkable. It's an aphrodisiac. It actually improves. Uh, it, it has a positive in, uh, effect on insulin sensitivity, makes you tan, mobilizes uh, fat mass. It's great, man. Yeah, we, we had a guy at our cert in Vegas a couple years ago that literally did the entire cert without his T-shirt on. I mean, we were there like eight in the morning, Saturday morning, <laughs> and this dude was just fucking shirt off and uh, was not only probably like two. 15 to 20, uh, like five ten, five eleven, pretty jacked. Uh, but was also, I mean, not only was he shredded, but he had probably the most amazing tan, like, like the type of tan that you would see in like a tanning salon commercial. And he literally just no shirt, just sat there, took the whole shirt train, no shirt. Like didn't even bring a shirt with him for two days. That's Finally, I, I like looked at him and was like, dude, 
where the fuck did you get that tan? And he was like, Milano tan. Uh, the guy yep. was like, my brother got diagnosed with skin cancer and they turned him on to this stuff and his tans look so good. I figured, you know what, I'll take this stuff. And I was like, you don't have to go to Hollywood to get a Hollywood tan because that thing is unbelievable. So it is, it's, it's great. And I mean, it actually, it, it was developed for, you know, positive reasons. And I mean, just like most stuff, you know, then idiots like us get a hold of it and turn it into something <laughs> else. But, you know, this is for people who actually are just very pale and who are very, you know, it's not necessarily overexposure to sun that gets people, you know, some sort of skin cancer. It's just, it's a reburn. So people who are very white, very pale, you keep getting this burn and burn and burn. That's when your body, you know, negatively reacts to um to the sun so people in you know like the nordic region you know i mean way up in iceland up into you know the arctic circle etc you know they developed this so they would be able to take something so when they would have exposure to the sun because they go like what like six or nine months without seeing the sun and then again you know and anything that they get it's going to burn them and then therefore cause them some adverse effects i think there are more tanning salons in like norway and sweden in there than anywhere and uh you know those guys are it's pretty hilarious when we were in Norway or in Sweden, rather, they, they had like their very first sunny day and like literally, man, there were like people like everywhere laying out. And the funnier <laughs> part is they were like, this is our first sunny day. Everybody was tanner than hell. I mean, everybody's way more tan than me. And I was like, this is the first sunny day. It's like, no, dude, everybody goes to the tanning salon all day long, man. This is like, like, like you have to, you're going to be going into the post office with a machine gun. Yeah. It's funny though. I was, we were at a, we, Bell and I were going somewhere to do a seminar and Bell loaded up on the stuff early and um, took way too much. And um, what's interesting about that stuff is if you don't manage it properly or you take more than you normally would, you can like change colors like four or five times during the day. So he took it and he gets this big rush and kind of turned this like really dark tan. I was like, whoa, dude, what the hell? And then he like got exposed to sun and he went like this black purple and then it calmed down again. Then we went back out in the sun and he went black purple again. And then it calmed down. I was like, what is going on with you? He's like, I think I just took way too much of that. The, the <laughs> mulatto tan, it's, it's, it's killing me, man. Dude, he, uh, I, I saw the pictures from the Olympia. His tan was looking on point. I was actually going to comment. I was like, either he bought himself a tanning salon or a tanning bed in the house, like uh, uh, American psycho style or he found a better way to do it. Uh, there's, it's just so much a better, easier, uh, more controlled way to do it that, uh, with Monotan. And, you know, compared to everybody else, he looked, well, I, there's no place to go to feel better about yourself um, in so many different ways, but like a trade show, like the Olympia or like the uh, Arnold classic, I felt so normal and like good looking and just awesome. Just seeing some of the freaks just walking around. It was just, it's just amazing. Um, and bell looked like above normal compared to what was kind of walking around at the Olympia. <clears throat> well, it's like people train the entire, like, year to like show up to that thing and some like weird like deal. I remember when we went to the Mr. Olympia a couple of years ago. I was like, dude, this is the strangest collection of people I've ever seen. Like where are these people been hiding? Like these yeah. people come out like once a weekend and you're like, dude, I've never seen anybody like this in public ever. Like do you guys just live in your houses and show up like one weekend a year. And I'm like, dude. where did you guys get these outfits? I'm like, dude, there was crazy. <laughs> like, like dudes, like with like the neck cut out of the sweatshirt with like one, <laughs> one shoulder exposed with like the, the, uh, the string tank top and like the fanny pack and like the auto mix fluorescent boots. I'm like, are they, uh, did they sell this outside? Like, like look like a, like a, like, like dude, it was crazy. 
And what's sad is like they've been planning that outfit for months too, you know? I mean, they've been collecting the exact stuff and trying it out and then they're just like, "Oh, this is this is it. This is the one for the for Saturday for the O." And they go and they go there and you're just like, "I don't understand." There was a there was a person, I'm I'm still not convinced here. There was a person, Katie was with us at the slingshot booth. There was a person who was wearing shorter shorts than Katie, which is really hard to do. Um, and I was just like, oh my God, do you see that that chick's um, shorts? It's like her, her ass is totally hanging out of those things. I was like, and she just looks terrible. It's like, she's just huge. And, you know, she, her jawline is obviously showing. I mean, I don't know what's going on. Like, no, that's a dude. I'm like, that's not a, that's not a dude. Like, why would he be wearing like basically a thong? It's like, no, that's a, that's a guy. He's like wearing a thong. It's hot. You know what? This is uh, meaningless without pictures. I want to see pictures immediately. Jesse hit yeah. mute again. Yeah, he totally hit mute. <laughs> so what we know about Jesse so far is cherishes his tan and checks out dudes at uh, in thongs, right? Yeah. yeah. And I don't know. Has, has technological abilities of a, of a small monkey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, you know what Jesse is good at? Texting. Jesse could text this whole thing into us and it would be perfect. Yeah, he's a good texter. I'll definitely say that. He's, he's a funny texter, too. I'll get some funny ones that kill me from Jesse. So it's funny. Good. All right. So what's uh, what's on the docket today other than tans and uh, uh, the, the, the Mr. <laughs> Olympia? Like, uh, what are yeah, we going to talk? Wait, there's there's more to this show. Yeah, <laughs> more to the show. Uh, do we do we got any questions like um, yeah, you- like what? What's up with the power wad? What's some of the, you know, the theory behind that? Oh, no, we can't. doing at Combat Sports Academy? What's MC Hammer Curls? All good uh, questions. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you know, power wad is, uh, uh, is uh, Jesse's website, and he posts workouts <laughs> for people to get stronger. Wow. So, Jesse, <clears throat> let's talk about getting strong. Right. So, so, um, would you say that the key to strength is consistency? Yeah. You know what? Um, this was, I don't like to quote myself. I think I'm an idiot and, um, you know, I, I don't say a ton of quotable stuff, but, uh, one of the, one of the best answers that I've ever given, I think was when someone asked me like, you know, what's the secret to getting strong to whatever success. And, um, I mentioned this to uh, Brandon Lilly and he kind of came back with something very similar. Um, you know, I said, you know what, I haven't missed a workout or a meal in about seven years. Um, so I think that's the key to success is just that. And Brandon Lilly said it recently on um, either an interview or something. And he says, you know what? I wasn't a really smart kid in school. I wasn't the best student. He goes, but you know what? Every year I always won the uh, best attendance. He goes, and that's what I feel has helped me the most in my career as far as, um, you know, weightlifting, powerlifting, and kind of getting strong is just that I'm always there. And I'm, you know, I may not be the smartest, I may not be the strongest, I may not be the best prepared, but I'm always going to be there and I'm always going to work hard. So absolutely, consistency and hard work um, is going to get you 90% of the way. And then, um, you know, that last 10% is going to really vary on, uh, what your goals are and, uh, what you're trying to do. 
I, I would like to see uh, Brandon's actual physical attendance records from school because uh, I'm not buying it. <laughs> no, he said he was talking about grade school. I think high school, he kind of trailed off a little bit. Uh, okay, actually, okay. You know, he, he's got actually a great story. You know what I mean? Kind of similar to... Um, similar to a lot of people, you know, he was, uh, he was getting in some trouble and kind of screwing around. And then, um, you know, someone kind of, someone that in the weight room was like, you're being an idiot, man. Why aren't you, why are you doing this? You're screwing up, you know, you need to do something. And, you know, you know, that's how he kind of gym. So, but I would agree with you. Uh, I, I would be suspect of anything past uh, eighth grade that he showed up at. Yeah, the the, um, uh, the the analogy I used, and it was pretty good because Monday Night Football did a lot on Tony Gonzalez uh, this week. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Tony and I, you know, went to college together and, uh, you know, I was best man at his wedding. And he's been a really close friend. And, you know, now here he is 17 years. And, you know, I think he's number five on the all-time receiving records and the best tight end to ever play the game. First ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, hands down, probably one of the top 10 guys to ever play in the NFL and uh, what people have no concept of is the amount of work that Tony does. Tony has not missed a workout. I mean, if I, I think before and after every single practice, he catches a hundred balls. So he catches like roughly 200 balls from the jug machine, every practice off season. I mean, the amount of work and the amount of <clears throat> dedication that that guy has put in to his craft to be the best in the world. I, I don't think people have any concept of the amount of how much work it's taken to get to that level. I mean, he was not only is he probably one of the most gifted athletes I've ever seen and, you know, has all the physical attributes that anybody would die for, but the guy also has like probably one of the greatest worth ethics I've ever seen. So, I mean, you couple that with great, great genetics and you have a guy that's probably one of the best athletes to ever walk the planet. So it was cool to see him, um, you know, really being able to go out there and be a dominant player because I mean, if I was in, if I was still playing the NFL and I was in year 17, I don't know how dominant I'd probably be. I mean, I'd probably be good at getting somebody <laughs> water or coaching somebody else, but I mean, to be able to go out and play as many plays and to be as physically productive as he is at, at year 17 is just phenomenal in the NFL. So it's great. It, and um, while we're on that subject, and I mean, I think this is, you know, we talked a little bit of hot topic stuff about, um, not a hot topic, the store, Luke, settle down. Um, the, the injections and everything. Um, let's talk about the, the, um, the concussion side of thing. I know what was a dateline or frontline just had a big thing about that. And John, you and I had talked about that a little bit. What, um, give us, you know, give us an informed take on that, what you thought about, um, the settlement and, um, what you thought about if you saw the frontline thing? Wait, wait, Jim, uh, see, Jesse, I just Jesse, took over the podcast, guys. Jesse, you you know how to turn on a TV? I don't have a TV. Oh, someone else just turned it on for you and put it in front yeah, of you. Someone turns it on for me. All right. Okay, so uh, I I didn't see the front line or the Dateline deal, um, and I've been see, uh, just because I haven't had an opportunity to sit and watch it, um, just to be smoked. But uh, the settlement was interesting in that uh, if you read, you know, a pro football talk, and you talk to a lot of the fucking dipshit fans and a lot of the people out there, they think it's about greed with the players and that these guys are done playing and they want a piece of the pie. And that's actually not the case. Uh, the NFL fucked up in that they should have granted guys lifetime medical benefits. And that's all the players ever wanted. But the owners being greedy never wanted to grant the players lifetime medical benefits. The other big problem too is that they sat on a uh, NFL brain study and a concussion study and a deal with the helmets um, that was done, I think in like uh, 2002 
two. And they sat on that information for about five or six years. And they knew that there was problems with concussions. They knew the helmets. They knew a lot of this stuff. So the, the settlement in the lawsuit was really about the fact that the NFL had, um, you know, acted nefariously and, and it hid this information from the players. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got all these guys committing suicide. You got Junior Seau and Dave Dewar and um, uh, Dewarson and all these guys committing suicide and through NFL pressure. And here, here's the deal. The NFL has done a great job and they've spent millions upon millions of dollars of basically weaving NFL uh, culture into the American fabric. And whereas it's kind of indistinguishable, I mean, Monday night football, Thursday night football, Sunday football, fantasy football. I mean, it is part of the American culture. And at the end of the day, it's a business. So, uh, but they've done a great job not explaining it as a business. And as a, as a player, you know, you look at this thing and it was the greatest job on earth. I'd love to do it. I can't say a negative thing about it, but as a player, I would have liked to have known that, uh, you know, how to define a concussion. When I came in the NFL, a concussion was defined as you'll know you'll get one when you get knocked unconscious. And then all of a sudden in 2008, they're like, no, they redefined it. And then all of a sudden I go in to get, you know, the brain scans and I go in for all the checks and they asked me, they're like, well, how many concussions you had? And I was like, well, I was never knocked unconscious. And the guy kind of looks at me and he was like, well, you know, they redefine concussions. And I was like, I, I was not aware. Uh, what's a concussion? It's any time that you lose sense, you feel like a ringing in your head, your vision goes, goes funny. And he gave me this whole list and he goes, how many concussions have you had based on this, uh, by this definition? I'm like probably 20 to 30,000. Right. <laughs> And uh, so the guy like gives me this look and that's when we went in for the scan. So I think what the players were suing about is, um, you know, one is that that information was hidden from us. So we weren't allowed to make an informative decision on your health. And the other big one is guys wanted lifetime medical because all of a sudden they give you five years past. All of a sudden these, you know, I'm in a, uh, you know, focus group with other NFL players and I'm sitting in there after getting all my scans and there's like a 41 year old ex NFL player in there with um, Alzheimer's. And I'm like, you know, I'm 35 and I'm like, this dude's only six years older than me. He played three years in the NFL. He played one, you know, one twentieth of the amount of time I played. And I'm thinking to myself, oh shit, like this is getting serious. You know, I got, you know, you got insurance five years after guys are having trouble getting covered due to the injuries and a lot of these collisions. So I think, um, you know, if they had just offered the players lifetime medical in the last CBA, it would have been much, they, they wouldn't have got into these problems, but then, you know, then the lawsuit comes and the players, you know, 4,000 guys sign up to back this thing. And the NFL does a smart thing. They go in and they threw $750 million, which you think is roughly one twentieth of what they make in a year. And, um, you know, they put this pool together and they say, Hey, you know what, if we give you this money, this is hush money. We'll put this pool together. Uh, our doctors are going to have to, okay people. And then the other key one is, uh, we never have to release any findings. This isn't an admission of guilt. We're just going to sweep this back under the rug and we'll go back to being America's game. And now what's crazy though, is if you turn on a game, look how many penalties are thrown for hits. I mean, if a guy exhibits any type of concussion or any type of drowsiness or takes a big hit, what do they do? They pull them out, they take it in, they check them. I mean, dude, I, I, I played in games where like, I literally, I looked over and the guy next to me, was had taken a knee to the head and like was like looking at me and he's like I can't see out of my right eye I really don't know what play it is you know then he comes out tells the trainer and they're like well get in there it's fourth you know we gotta we gotta win this thing so I mean they're a lot more proactive now than they were but you know at what point? And I think uh, the settlement's good because it'll hopefully get the guys the money. But the problem is, is that once that pool is dried up, then what? 
And then, you know, and I, so I don't really like the fact that the NFL doesn't have to come out and there's no admission of guilt. I really don't think it's enough money. I think there should be more. And, um, you know, that's, uh, but you know, the lawyers jumped on it. The lawyers got a nice payday and I think they saw the, it was easier to get money today and get money to the guys that needed it than it was to drag this thing out because the NFL, it was never going to admit the guilt and they have deeper pockets than us. I mean, I believe me, I don't want to go into a court case against Arthur Blank and Jerry Jones and, you know, uh, Jeffrey Lurie and all these guys. I mean, these guys are multi, multi billionaires. And the reason they're rich is because they, they don't give their money away and they sure as hell don't, don't, you know, succumb to pressure to a bunch of dumbass NFL players. So. <laughs> So what do you think? I mean, is this a, obviously it's a it's kind of a middle of the road decision. But what do you think about the refereeing the calls? Because, I mean, so it's you know, a lot of people are saying it's really kind of changing the game that any hit like you said, like you said, is going to get someone a penalty or, you know, someone's going to have to sit out an extra game. And um, <clears throat> out here in the Bay Area, you have Bill Romanowski on the um on the radio. Well, he's a fucking saying, crazy person. He, well, he's a complete, he's a complete lunatic. Absolutely. But you know, he's telling people, he's just like, I would have never told anyone that, um, I had a concussion that I, I was, you know, I had a stinger. I had anything I wanted to play. That's what I wanted to do. He goes, and I can guarantee you there's more guys like me than the people who are whining and crying, trying to walk off the field. So I mean, yeah. now that puts the, that puts everything in a really weird position. You're like, okay, well, you know what's happening and you're still okay with it. And you're running your face into a wall and you're getting applauded and paid for it. And then on the back end, you're like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But I mean, he's not in the same case, but I mean, again, he's a, he's a complete crazy person. No, no, he, he, he's a crazy person and he has mental disorders. I mean, he probably needs some of that money. I think if they were to put him in there, I mean, uh, I know Romo, I played against him. Uh, I've been in, you know, I've seen him in a, in a couple dealings. He's uh, he's a fucking crazy person. Um, so I think uh, you have to really not, completely discount it, but I take him with a grain of salt and actually believe nothing he says, uh, personally. Um, but in, uh, in terms of dealing with the players and, uh, you know, the, the other huge thing is, is, um, so a bunch of years ago, the NFL did a big study on, um, uh, on, you know, necessarily what all these brain concussions and what a lot of these problems. And, uh, they had a friend, a, a guy that I know that did a study and went and analyzed blood work and a lot of the hormone levels of all the uh, starting quarter, actually the, the, fir- the first and second string quarterback of every NFL team. And, um, every one of those guys body actually produced almost no growth hormone. So he goes back to the NFL and he's like, here's the deal, man. These guys are relatively healthy, but he goes, none of them produce any growth hormone. And they looked at him and they were like, okay, so what does that mean? Well, the growth hormone is produced by the pituitary gland from all the hits to the head. It's basically adversely affecting the pituitary gland. So, um, you know, if you look at cognitive brain function and you start looking at a lot of the, uh, you know, how to necessarily uh, preserve the brains and help people. I mean, a lot of this, uh, um, you know, stuff like, uh, you know, growth hormone supplementation, supplementing with testosterone and really making sure the androgen levels are healthy. I mean, that's something we talk about constantly, like sleeping enough, eating enough, training properly, really, really, uh, safeguarding your hormone in your body and like really like your natural production and really that. And the problem is, is that, you know, these guys probably realistically should have been on some form of medical supplementation for hormones. And, but of course the NFL can't do that. I mean, they're involved in, you know, Congress wants them to do blood testing on GH. And so now it's like, you know, everybody is so fucking wrapped up that like, you know, it's somehow like, you know, the drugs are what allowed Lance Armstrong to, you know, magically do this because without those drugs, he probably would have been, uh, you know, uh, 
I don't know, not even. He would have never got off his 10 speed, right? Yeah. Yeah. He would have never got off his 10 speed or, you know, uh, it's, you know, the, the reason that guy is the fastest guy in the world is because of those drugs. No, that dude is already really fast. I mean, it's kind of like I, uh, the the comment I said is that I never saw drugs make a bad player, a good player. I never, uh, you know, saw any drugs all of a sudden, you know, give somebody heart. The drugs don't give people heart. If you don't have the heart and the desire and the ability to do it, there's nothing that you can take that's going to magically give you that. But the problem is a lot of people can't wrap their heads around that because it's always an easy thing to say, well, yeah, um, you know, I could squat 1200 pounds if I had all those drugs. Sweet. I'll right. buy you all the drugs. Go squat 1200 pounds. Oh, That's no. What I, I loved when uh, baseball was going through the whole thing and uh, Joe Biden was up there talking about his baseball career, you know, and I mean, just saying, I, th- I thought I was good, but and, you know, I was OK with people being better than me. But then I found out that they were all taking drugs. And you know what? I think I could have been much better than them and all this other stuff. And, you know, all the, you know, being a baseball player coming from the other side of things when all the stuff was going around, especially out here in the Bay Area. <clears throat> like, what do you think about all this? I was like, you know what? If there was a drug that could have made me hit a curveball or a slider better, I would have taken I would have taken all of them. It's like, but there's no drug in the world that is going to help you hit a good curveball or hit a hard slider. It, no. there, it just doesn't exist. No, it, 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 and I think people overestimate it too much. I mean, you know, it's just uh, what's hard for me is, um, you know, like I'm great with everything as long as everything's transparent and on the table. And if it came into the NFL and they said, here's the deal, you're going to get paid X, but these are the, this, you have about an 80% chance to have some form of brain damage you have, um, you know, but we're going to do this and we're going to mitigate and we're going to safeguard it. And, you know, you, you got to be honest. And I think if any, everything's laid out on the table, it's kind of like, um, you know, just like everything, like you get in, you know, every, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I mean, everybody right. gets in, everything's great. I just want to know what this looks like in terms of like, uh, just explain to me the, the, the liability. And you know what? I can make an educated decision. The problem is, is when things are purposely left off the table, when people are deceived and all of a sudden it comes back later and changed like a guy for me that, you know, now I look at it and I, I played at the end of the golden age because the game that I played, I don't know how you could play the game the way we played it then today, like looking at it, I'm like, dude, these hits don't look that big. I mean, uh, you know, but then you're also watching, you know, these different offensive lines that are playing. I watched, um, Atlanta play this weekend and uh, not a, one of those guys was, was playing at a level that could have played on the offensive lines I played on. And I'm thinking to myself, why are these guys playing like this? Like, like did, did they not get the experience? Did they not get the hits? Did they not get the volume of training and practice to be able to go out and be competitive on Sunday? Because you know what, these guys are paying a lot of money to do their job. There's no way that these guys should be getting thrown around around like this is that they couldn't find other people. Other guys were hurt. What's the reasoning. And you know what? Um, I, I don't know if that the practices that they've gone so far, so uh, far the other way where now they don't hit as much in practice and it's harder to discern who's a player and who's not because dude, like the way you, you earned your job in the NFL was dude, you got to go out and fight some wars in practice. I mean, we had three hour practices. It was nine on seven, one-on-one drills, you know, and you literally fucking, you made your bones banging in practice and you got out to the game and you thought to yourself, Jesus, thank God, this is so much easier than practice. Right. Maybe, maybe these guys are getting out in the games and it, it doesn't have the same volume of hitting. It's not the same level of intensity. I mean, I, I'll tell you this based on the practice schedule, dude, I'd still, I'm now I know why Tony's able to play 17 years. I mean, but that guy played in the same places like with Dick Vermeil and these guys that I played with. And, um, 
it's just kind of an interesting, I, I don't know. I like, like looking at it. It's kind of like I'm torn because I, I want the players to be, to be healthy. I don't want anybody to kill themselves. I don't want people to have to sit and listen to a doctor and say, uh, you have brain damage because hearing that is pretty overwhelming. And then you got to drive home and call your mom and be like, yeah, mom, you let me play football. And I did really great. And everybody's really proud of me and everybody congratulates me. But now I just got done with a doctor who said that, you know, my melon's a little messed up. So it's one of those things where, you know, you got to make that decision. But I think if, if all the information's on the field, you know, and they say to you, here's the deal, we're going to take care of you. You're going to have lifetime medical, you know, you're going to do this job, but this is, it is, if you can lay that out, I think it, it, it becomes much more manageable in my brain and I can wrap my head around it a little bit more. And, um, then more so than like guys that are like, okay, you're done, cast you out. Here's five years insurance, kick rocks. Now you got to get it on your own. And, uh, you know, we, there, there was this pool of money for guys with brain damage, but, uh, it was only 750 billion or 750 million. It got eaten up in 10 years. And now, you know, now it's done. Now go fuck yourself. Get out of here. And so I, it, even if, um, even if they had that out there, would it, you, would you, would you have paused for any more than five seconds to sign your first contract? <clears throat> um, and you, and I, and I mean, I'm talking to you, I mean, you've gone through it, you're a vet and you're a smart dude. I mean, do you think it's going to make anybody pause? I mean, I think you're right that they should lay it out and it should be all on the table and everyone's going to be honest about it. Yeah. But do you think there's going to be any one person who's going to hesitate to sign that contract? Yeah. There's already been guys that have walked away. Um, I know there was a, there was a running back and there's been a couple players that have been like, no, it's not worth it to me. And you know what? I, I I think for guys like, um, you know, uh, like, I think for guys that would look at it and say, Hey, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze. It's worth the gamble. It makes some sense. But you know what the problem is, is, um, like it's such a, our society is so instant gratification and, you know, it's, it's cool that we got Playtick on here cause he's a, uh, got a PhD in psychology and, and, uh, you know, knows this stuff, but it's like, we have such an instant gratification society and, you know, like give me everything now and not realizing that when I'm 40, I might be in such a poor state of depression in such a bad place. I mean, Junior Seau had one of the best careers and was hands down one of the best guys I ever faced. I mean, he he gave me my welcome to the NFL moment and also gave, uh, on the field and off the field when I saw him at the Pro Bowl and he put his arm around me, bought me a drink and we hung out for a few days. And he said, yeah, hey, stick, stick it out with me. We're going to have a blast you're going to be good at this thing. And, um, you know, that was a, a, a guy that not only I remember going and lining up against him and thinking, Jesus Christ, this is fucking junior sale. And he ran past me like I was standing still. And yet I, I got to go to Hawaii and hang out with him. And I was like, dude, junior's my boy, you know? And it was like, you know, that hit me so damn hard. How do you know? I mean, I could be, you know, these guys, yeah, you could have a storage 17 year uh, NFL career, have money and all this stuff, fame. Everybody knows who you are and be a local hero and be alone in your room and kill yourself. Like, like I think that type of, uh, you know, the NFL doesn't talk about that stuff because that's that dark stuff. That's that stuff that doesn't sell that people don't put jerseys on their backs. People don't. And, and you know what it is? People don't want to know what's going on in the mind of a hero. Like, I mean, in, in their minds, like these are their heroes. These are their people. They buy trading cards and bobbleheads and this is their fantasy football. And they want to remember these heroes the way they are. But the problem is, is, you know, guys are fucked up. 
I mean, yeah. you know, like, I, you know, I, I remember reading uh, Mike Webster's son wrote a really great deal about his dad, about training. And, you know, his dad was sleeping in his car and he had like tons of paper and was like trying to write things down so he could like make sense of what was going through his brain. And Mike Webster was, dude, in terms of NFL players, Iron Mike was, you know, not only a, a model for the way the game was played, but just was a, a, a badass of a dude and just, you know, a, a titan in, in, in a way. And, um, you know, it's a scary thing. And then, you know what, but here's the deal, man, all of a sudden you, you go do this job and, uh, you know, I don't look back. I don't regret a single moment of it. It was the most fun I ever had. And I love to do it. And I, somebody asked me yesterday, I did a talk, um, yesterday and these guys asked me about it. And I said, you know, uh, I got paid a lot of money to wholesale beat ass. And, uh, hmm. you know, there's, there's nowhere on planet that I could get I could do what I did and not get in trouble. So that's why I loved it. I loved the, I love the fist fight. I love the battle. I love the one-on-one combat. And what's amazing is kind of like fight club, everything else, the volume gets turned down on everything else, same stuff. And, um, the, but, uh, you know, the problem is, is now you're having these realistic things where guys that you played with contemporaries, guys that you played on the field with and you battled with, dude, uh, all of a sudden these guys are killing themselves and people are having huge problems. And like, that's one of those things where you, you know, you go in and you go for a drive and you think to yourself, Jesus, like, what am I going to do to not be that guy? Am I going to learn a foreign language? Am I going to get on? Am I going to speak? Am I going to read? Am I going to write? Am I going to create? Am I going to, am I going to keep training? Am I going to make sure that I eat perfect? Am I going to go get my blood work done? Am I going to be proactive on everything? Am I going to figure out how to fix a brain? And am I going to be proactive? And, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, not too many guys are doing that. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, Luke always says, you know, not only do we have the power athlete book to write, you almost have to say, you know, write a book, uh, like a manual, how to rebuild an NFL player after you get done out of this thing, what type of things are you going to do to limit your exposure and limit your problems and shit? Maybe that's the next book, Luke is how to fucking rebuild us. I think that that was one of the things that hit me so hard when I was talking to you about that a couple months ago. It was like, well, how are you scared of it? You're like, you know what? I'm, you know, always worried about it, but it's just, you know, I think I took care of myself a lot better than anybody else did eating wise, um, specifically just food and training than a lot of other people are. You had the, the knowledge of how to take care of your body. And I think that's a great idea. I think, um, uh, you, you, it's really interesting to where you see all these stories hyped on ESPN of like Lamar Odom, all he eats is like gummy bears and like, you know, sour patch kids. And, you know, and people are like, Oh, that's the key to success. So I'm like, no, this is, you know, a complete outlier. You know, not everyone can do this. Um, well, it's, it, it's just like, you know, there's genetic freaks. Like I remember, um, uh, you know, like, like I, I've, I've, my whole life I've run into genetic freaks. I mean, I remember playing with a guy who ate nothing but, uh, uh, chicken McNuggets that were, you know, he would frost them in salt. So he'd like pour a bunch of salt out and like coat them in salt and he would eat chicken McNuggets and eat fries and, and burgers. And the guy was like 4% body fat and ran a four, four. Right. And, uh, you know, and it's, but unfortunately or unfortunately, I wasn't that guy. So in a way I had to go and train and I had to eat and I had to figure all this stuff out to be there. But it was interesting is all of those things, I believe safeguarded me from a lot of these problems because you start looking at mass inflammation and you start looking at how inflammation affects the brain and, uh, you know, 
it just it, you just can't burn the candle at both ends. So the way that I the talk I gave yesterday was to some uh, to some young military kids, and uh, you know I talked about it. And I was like, don't wait till you're 30 to start worrying about this stuff. Like the, when the more proactive you are as a younger kid early in this fight, is the easier it's going to be. And um, you know the problem is is that you know people don't go to the doctor, people don't start to worrying until they start getting problems. Dude, I I don't wait for something to go wrong for me to figure it out. Like I'm always looking at this stuff. I mean, in terms of movement and mobility getting the blood work done, um, you know, figuring this thing out. I, I know how to eat and making sure I stick to it and realize like, dude, uh, all those things are going to pay dividends down the road. Um, you know, it's just, but, but that's a huge part of our culture. I mean, people don't go to the doctor until something's wrong. People don't worry about anything until it happens to them. And I'm like, fuck If by, by the time it happens to you, it's almost too fucking late. Like right. if, if you got to fix your diabetes, once you get diabetes, there's a good chance you're not going to fix the diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's well, me on and, my soapbox. And that might be even more true for brain issues. I mean, diabetes can be managed with things like diet. And once you jack up your brain and you start making bad decisions, um, it's hard to fix that, uh, brain damage. You know, I mean, the brain is plastic, but like you said, John, um, giving people this information, one of the problems with giving people the information when they are, um, maybe about to sign the contract is that they've probably already had 10,000 concussions and might not be in a position to make a, a accurate or effective decision on whether to sign or not. Well, what's interesting is when I went and met with Dr. Jin and we talked about this before, uh, he, you know, he was looking, show me different brains and was like, you know, just by the mere wiring of the professional athlete brain leads to a certain impulsive behavior based on the, on the, on the, firing pattern. And he goes, you know, uh, and then he was funny cause he said, you know, here's a set of, uh, criteria that are very specific to the, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, spec ops community and also the professional athletes. And it was like, uh, alcohol, uh, you know, ex- uh, or, um, uh, excessive behavior, you know, drinking too much. I mean, driving too bad. I mean, he listed out all these things. And as he was listing it out, I'm like, sounds like me and my friends. You know, like it was just, it was kind of hilarious to kind of talk to him. And he's like, that type of compulsive behavior is not only a certain personality type that works for these jobs, but also becomes exemplified and really amplified over time if untreated. And his big thing was with sleep. I mean, uh, disrupting circadian rhythms causes, you know, um, almost looked like, like little noise in between the, uh, the cycles of the brain. And he's like, you know, this noise and these, these mess ups increase that kind of compulsive behavior, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol, uh, you know, inf- you know, mass inflammation from eating poorly prescription drugs. I mean, he went through this whole thing and you're like, you know, and in my head, I'm hearing all these things and you start working backwards and creating almost like breaking down the puzzle into pieces. And you're like, so here's the deal. Um, the, the other big one too. And I, I, uh, uh just on a side note, um, whenever I, hear NFL players when they retire and they start talking about the amount of prescription drugs that they were taking. I mean, Scott Vegeta, who was a played with me in college and had a great career. I mean, Fuge retires and he was talking about as many painkillers as he was taking. Um, I, I never like the, like I never had those problems or I had the same pain and a lot of things were fucked up, but, um, I never really took a high volume of painkillers. And like, that was, I mean, I we took them occasionally when they were given, but like guys are chewing like Brett Favre style. Like I, I honestly think that uh, those prescription painkillers may are being a huge, huge problem on guys. And, uh, um, you know, that's kind of another scary thing. So, I mean, it's like more people are addicted to prescription drugs in this country than they are illegal drugs. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, I, I had a, 
a sit down the other day with the Huntington beach cops and they were asking a bunch of questions. And I said to them, you know, what's the biggest thing facing young people today? And the question is, is these things they call trail mix parties where yeah, that's the, horrible. This is so scary. The kids go steal all the pill containers out of their parents, uh, medicine cabinets and they all get together and they dump all the pills into a, a bowl and they shake it up and then they take big handfuls uh, and you don't know what you're going to get. You might get uh, some heart medication. You might get a Viagra. You might get a painkiller. You might get an aspirin and a some cough syrup. And you wash it down with a glass of vodka. And these kids are literally doing this. And I was like, are you uh, really? And he's like, oh, we've had kids dying left and right. We've had like, he goes, it's a huge epidemic, these uh, trail mix parties. And I was wow. like, I was like, are you like, I would never even have fucking thought to do that. Yeah, I that's mean, the same thing I, I thought when I heard it, and they were calling them farm parties up here. I was like, wait, why would you why would you even do that? That doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to take something I don't know what it is. And I'm, I mean, I, I like to think that on the, the between the two of you and myself, we were pretty, some pretty reckless kids growing up, and I would <laughs> never, I would never even think about doing that. No. Insanity. It, no. No, it's just so wild to hear, like, and just to, well, a lot of it's just to know what those pills can actually do for you. But I mean, I would have, no, I would have, I would have been like, nope, I'm going to be the God. I'm a fag. I'm a pussy, whatever you want to call me, but I'm not doing that. That's, that's crazy. That's just so crazy to me. Well, well, the, the other big one is they have a, right now in Orange County, they have a big rash of, uh, uh, somebody, you know, there's a bunch of big, there's heroin has got a resurgence and the reason you know why it's because the, um, it's because the pain pills and the Oxycontins are more expensive now. Yeah. Well, well, what they did is they changed the Oxycontins to where you can't break them down and smoke them and they don't work in the same way. So the kids were breaking down the oxys and they could smoke them. They did something to them where they can't break them down now. So the kids are going and that's why heroin has got to be big resurgence in here in Orange County. And they, uh, the cops were telling me that they've, um, been literally, they found a 13 year old girl, uh, that was like her first experience with drugs and found her dead with a needle in her arm. And I'm thinking to myself, you're 13 years old and your first experience with drugs is I'm just going to fucking mainline heroin. Like, I, I like, like that's where I realized I'm like, maybe these NFL players aren't as fucked up. I mean, like, like, like what the <laughs> fuck is going on? Like, I remember 13, like the idea of going like, you know, like having a drink out of my parents' fucking uh, liquor cabinet was like, holy shit. Like that would have been huge. I mean, people have been like, I mean, I, I remember a, a, a guy, you know, smoking pot when I was in high school and me being like, whoa, you know? So, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's crazy. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's grand theft auto. Maybe it's the internet. Maybe it's this crazy shit. Maybe it's Miley Cyrus talking about Molly and on the, uh, on the radio. I'm like, I, I don't know what it is, but it seems as if things are escalating a lot faster than, than they ever have. Or, or maybe it's just, we're more apparent or we're more around it because, you know, maybe it's always been there. I mean, I, I don't know, but it's, uh, you know, there's an old Chinese proverb. Maybe you live in interesting times Well, we're living in interesting times. So have you, Ed, I was, I was, uh, reading not to sound smart, but I was reading uh, a couple articles on for in Forbes magazine. Have you guys heard of the silk road? Yes. That's that I had never, I had never heard of this. I was yeah. so floored. Uh, this is a worldwide, just basically black market buy Trust. anything, uh, completely anonymous. Yeah, it, it was amazing. There, the, the money that was being talked about and what was being sold and what you could get where is just astounding. I mean, it, I would have, 
I mean, yeah. like, like we even said, you know, we were probably some reckless individuals growing up. And I, if I would have had access to this, I mean, I, this is just crazy to me. Yeah. They, they were using Bitcoin to, uh, to fund it all. And yeah. uh, it was like this, this crazy layer. It was on the internet. You, it, it, like you couldn't search it and it was kind of a deal. And I think the main guy was a guy called the dread private Roberts. Yeah. And he, he was kind of the ringleader of it. And, uh, they, this thing was basically a hot black market for any type of drug, anything you want. And, uh, they, it was completely anonymous. And the crazy thing is the CIA or, you know, whatever governing body searches the stuff out here in the U S ended up busting the guy. And it was basically because he logged in, uh, not like he usually, he logged in using a cell phone instead of some remote access and they ended up catching him. But, uh, it kind of set these guys on fire a little bit because they thought that they had created something that was completely, uh, anonymous and dude, the government, I mean, dude, our government's a lot sharper than we give them credit for sometimes with this stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, I I read that whole thing on the Silk Road and was kind of tripping out. Seems like a lot of work, you know? It's it's just amazing. I mean, it just shows you how much smarter, but also how much dumber people are than you. Well, or or the the, the level of sophistication that they put into this thing, that if they had probably done it into some positive deal, they probably would have been way more successful. I mean, dude, the amount of of like... uh, brain power it took to fucking radiate this thing would have been just unreal. It's just, it, it, uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm at the point in life where I'm never surprised by anything. I read these different things and actually nothing surprises me. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it doesn't seem like anything surprises us anymore. Yeah. It, it, I wasn't necessarily surprised, but I was just, again, like you said and talked about, you know, I mean, if they would have put that brain power towards competing with Apple, we would, we would be competing, you know, we'd be talking on the silk, the silk road phone, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh Jesus. So what else is going on guys? Anything else? I feel like we're dominating this thing. <laughs> no, it's all, it's all good stuff. We uh, we only had a couple things on the agenda, and it's just kind of let you guys ramble, which you're doing a great job of. Uh, Thank Den- you, Denny. What's our time? How long have we been going? Uh, we're at an hour. Okay. Well, how about this? Why don't we just uh, answer Andrew's question? Cool. All right. So Andrew K asks, uh, "What's going on, Power Athlete Radio crew?" In light of the recently awesome beginner's guide to CrossFit football, I was hoping to get some input airtime on each of your favorite accessory movements, as well as set sets and rep ranges. Uh, do you take Jim Wendler approach to accessory lifts, i.e. hit your main movements like a power lifter and then train your accessory movements like a bodybuilder? Or do you crush some more heavy shit for accessory work? Then he goes on to say, uh, I'm aware that accessory work should be just that, accessory, and should not take work away from the daily water strength lot. Um, in terms of programming, would you pick one week spot each day and program it accordingly? Like uh, throwing in some dip work on Mondays, or would you suggest us making Saturday a light conditioning week spot day? Thanks for your con- continuing inspiration, Andrew K. Before these brain, these guys go ahead and get in on, on all sorts of ways to do shit. Uh, if you're talking about specifically implementing with CrossFit football, just tinker with it. Don't go overboard. Make sure it's still working. I mean, that's my advice. Um, my personal favorite accessory work is uh, anything chest. So I have uh, I have <laughs> hamstrings and hamstrings. John, I still can't fucking walk, man. It's not cool. That was not a cool joke to play on me. 
uh, we'll get into that. But anything chest I hit, and I usually hit it Mondays uh, and obviously Fridays before a cert if we're going. Because you got to have big chest, big traps if you want to look smart, you know? You got to get some arms going too. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just, I'm not that into the arms. My arms are plenty big, you know? I went, yeah, when I heard I, it. someone, one of my, one of my lifters was, was doing a bunch of curls on, um, I think he did them like for like two or three weeks straight, like every day. I was like, you're doing a ton of curls. What What's going on? He was just like, you know what I figured out, Jess? I was like, what? He goes, girls have tits, dudes have arms. I was like, <laughs> I got to start doing some more curls. You're absolutely fucking right. <laughs> but uh, I like so. So Monday I, is my first day back on my way back from Germany. I got sick on the plane and was unable to train and then popped right off to Oregon. I didn't train for maybe 10 days. And uh, and John picks me up just at nine in the morning, picks me up. He's like, are right, you ready to go? I jump in the truck. He, you just don't ask questions with Wellborn because sometimes you don't want to hear the answers. And uh, we end up going to to our global gym that that John's been training at. And he has me do like 90 reps of hamstring curls before we go into uh, three second negative tempo squats, like eight by eight at 300 pounds. And after that, we do like 100 RDLs. And lunges. And lunges. And I'm like – as soon as he tells me what we're doing, I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to do the squats with you, but then I'm going to bail out and do some, ch- do some chest and traps. <laughs> and I got roped into the fucking, this whirlwind. I woke up the next day. Like, I, I swear to you, I couldn't, I couldn't bend my knees. Like I couldn't bend at my waist. I couldn't do anything. I was completely trashed. And, uh, I'm just now getting over it on Thursdays. And, and I, I don't know. John said he, basically his quads were smashed, but everything under my waist was basically worthless. Everything. So we we did uh, we we warmed up with uh, with some high rep hamstring curls, and then from there we went over and we was uh, we had to basically work up to like a, an all out set of eight, where it was a three second countdown on the squat, and then basically uh, you know dynamically stand up as fast as possible. So I think uh, we worked up to what I got. 405 for for that and then we went over and then i think luke was 315 and then we went over and jumped on the leg press and loaded up a whole bunch of on the leg press and did a whole bunch of sets oh yeah and yeah then, uh, and then we did uh super setted uh rdls and uh, dumbbell walking lunges and um uh, dude the funnier part is luke couldn't move his hamstrings my quads were fired i didn't feel anything in my hamstrings so it's one <laughs> of those things where you can take two people have them do the exact same workout and everybody feels it in a different strain in in the same way and i'm like that makes no fucking sense to me. But um, what we're playing with a little bit is, uh, um, and so we, we told the listeners a little bit, I mean, in cross the football land and really in terms of like, you know, powerlifting, you look at a lot of sports, we always train the body as a complete unit and just kind of going back and relooking and trying to revisit some stuff. Uh, I started kind of cutting my body into little pieces and just kind of like putting in some isolation stuff. And I found some like, huge fucking discrepancies. Like I pulled, you know, 585 for 10 the other day on deadlift, but yet 50 pound hamstring curls, fuck me up so bad. I can't walk for three days. So I'm sitting here being like, well, wait a minute, why can I deadlift fucking almost 600 pounds for reps and I'm, and I'm fine. And yet some isolation hamstring curls, fuck my whole world up. Or, uh, I go do, and I do some like, you know, um, bench heavy. And then I go over and I do some chest flies and like my chest is so sore. I can't do a push up after. 
So it's kind of it's kind of interesting that um, you get to this point where you've done all this volume of training and then you go back in time a little bit and you start kind of isolating some things. I'm sure Jesse's run into this stuff, too, that, you know, you get to this point where you've built this big machine and then you have to kind of start looking for little weaknesses. And uh, unfortunately, we're really good at the movement patterns we're good at. You put us in some different movement patterns, like some single jointed stuff that we never do. And all of a sudden, the whole fucking world comes to an end. And so um, I was testing it with Luke and I was like, well, let's do some shit we never do. And all of a sudden it's fucking frying us. And I'm like, shit, uh, we either got to build the machine better or we got to figure out how to incorporate some of this stuff. And I know Jesse uses, uh, you use a lot of single jointed stuff and use some machines in your assistance work, which is, you know, fucking some classic bodybuilding and, you know, uh, it works, you know, it fucking works. And, and I mean, the, to, you know, this, hopefully this makes sense to the, uh, Andrew who was asking the question, you know, the, you know, I'm a firm believer that your assistance work should in, in, in fact be assistance stuff, but you know, it's not something that you're just going to kind of gloss over. Uh, it should have a point to it. You know, it's, um, you know, when I'm dealing with some of my guys, some of my athletes, you know, I can just throw out, you know, you need some more hamstring work. You need some more of this and some of that. And they're, they're smart enough and dialed in enough to, um, I know you love that term, John dialed in. Yes. Um, so the they're dialed in enough to, um, to, to know that, you know, in their mind, these three exercises kind of work for them. So I always encourage people who ask me about, you know, accessory work is just really to make a list, you know, throw down just like kind of what John did, um, what you have access to and just start, you know, writing it down hamstrings. I have a hamstring curl machine. I can do band hamstring curls. I can do RDLs. I can do this, 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 this. So when it's just like, okay, I did my squats. Now what do I need to do? Well, I have these three you know, body parts that I need to kind of address. Okay. Just take three exercises and kind of go from there. And what I also like what you guys really did <clears throat> is uh, something that, uh, something I've been doing for a long time. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's always, it's just basically based on, you know, you're never always going to want to train your weakness. So, and a lot of times what we'll do is we'll always kind of put that at the end of a workout, which is always horrible because that's the stuff that you really start to get talking to someone. And then, you know, someone drifts away and then you drift away and they're like, ah, I forgot to do it again. So what we started to do a while ago and something that I'm really guilty of is ab work for me, I could, you know, forget about and never, ever do. But once I started to force myself to do that before a workout, you know, everything got so much, you know, I got so much more stable in my squat so much more stable um and had a lot more hip action at the top of my deadlift and just got you know so much more tight and uh and connected kind of throughout you know big movements um so i mean if you can find out and if you know that you're you know you, you had some knee injury or you had something out you know put that before your workout and make sure that that's uh you know that's paramount you start to address that it's not you don't have to do you know like if we would have switched your guys's workout put the rdls before your squats and then the hamstrings after them you know it would have been a complete different workout you guys probably would have been negative you know 50 to 70 pounds on your squats when you really went after it but doing you know some leg curls that are just start to wake you up and start to get you moving you know it sounds like john was just being a jerk to you Luke, making you do like 90 or something along those lines sounds like he's been doing this for a couple of weeks um, yeah, like, I, yeah, yeah we, we were doing like yeah yeah dude i i was ready I and mean, we we're doing sets of 25 and like pyramiding up we did like 25 15 12 10 and like i know luke doesn't do hamstring curls and all of a sudden he like gives me this look like he wants to throw up because he's got so much blood in his hamstrings and i'm yeah. like sweet now we're going to do some slow, accentuated, uh, fucking quick turnaround squats and we're going to work up to something heavy. And, uh, yeah, it was fucking spicy, but you know what? Like it's, um, uh, you know, 
what I realized over time is that, you know, everything works, but not everything works forever. And that you got to console, you know, for me personally, when you, you know, and Jesse's in the same deal, we fucking train for so long that, you know, you have to constantly be, you know, changing some things and always adding kind of a different movement and kind of changing the, you know, everything up slightly. But the problem is, is that most people that we're dealing with, like, do not have 20 years underneath the bar. So what's interesting when I look at assistance work, uh, I really prescribe the assistance work based on how much training time you have, like for people that are relatively new to training, which I, to me is, you know, two, three years in being consistent, like your assistant work might be just in the, under the bar. Like, uh, you know, there's, you know, like it's a trip when you look at like the West side guys, for example, you know, they do all this assistance work and even Jim Wendler talking about assistance work. They also don't talk about the fact that these guys have squatted this movement thousands of times. They have literally reinforced this movement pattern to the point where it's actually pattern overload them and then, and now they need to go and get other things to do. So I think the problem is, and this is, uh, you know, the world over and not just CrossFit, everybody always wants to look and think, okay, what is the best guy in the world doing? Okay. I'll, uh, bodybuilding. I'm going to look and see what, uh, you know, is it Paul heat or, uh, uh, yeah, Phil Heath that won. I'm going to do what Phil Heath does. Little do they know that Phil Heath has been training for 30 years and has a completely set of genetic factors that, you know, he's, a you know, the guy that wins the Olympia is, you know, has a certain set of genetic gifts. I mean, what he's doing might not work for you today, but it might work 20 years from now. So right. it, it, it's like, um, like we were working with uh, Jeff Gonzalez and, you know, Jeff is, a you know, Navy SEAL, but he doesn't have a ton of time in terms of basic, like he's weightlifted, but not like we have. So I was looking at him like an amateur and we put a squat program together for him. And for his assistance work was more squats. So he would squat on the program. And then for his assistance work, he was doing like more squats. And then his assistance work was more deadlifts. And we were literally overloading it. All of a sudden we get to the end of 12 weeks and he literally is like PR and smashed everything. And he's like, I would have never thought it worked. I'm like, dude, you just needed to learn the movements. Like right. the, pro- the problem is, is that the strength program we put you on wasn't giving you enough lifts just by giving you more lifts and stressing it. You fucking crushed everything. And he was like, I would have never thought it worked. And I'm like, well, yeah, it, it wouldn't work. But when anybody asks you, your assistance work is actually lifting more. So it's kind of, a, uh, you know, very specific to to the people. And you have to realize that, like I saw a quote uh, this weekend on Facebook that was from, I guess, uh, James Fitzgerald had a training camp and in it, they asked him about the reverse hyper. And he said, yeah, I like reverse hypers. It's a good place to eat my lunch. <laughs> and I, I kind of like, I, I kind of chuckled and laughed and thought, man, I, I love to use the reverse hyper. I mean, would I ever say, Hey, I'm going to use the reverse hyper instead of squatting and doing my basic lifts? No, but is it, is it a tool? Is it a good assistance work? Has it helped me get up volume? Has it helped me deload my back and fix some things? Have we brought in people that have had back surgery and helped them get movement? Yeah. And it's a valuable tool. It also can double as a good place to eat lunch because it's kind of high up there, but I would never that say true. that's the best thing about it. So, but, but, but you know what, that's, that's a big part about being a coach and understanding and following a program. And Jesse's as good as anybody in the world is right now about getting people strong. And, you know, it's the reason that I went to Jesse for a long time and he helped me with my training just because, uh, I always say, man, if you're programming for yourself, your coach is an idiot. So you got to go out and search out some of the best people in the world and, you know, see what they're doing and have them help you and assess you and be real honest with you. And this is what you need to pick up on and what you can fix. And that's yeah, why we all coaches. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, and, dude, uh, it's boring. 
<laughs> yeah, to go, you know, to kind of go back to, you know, what you just talked about as far as, you know, the main movement uh, being your actual assistant movements at the time. You know, I've, I've always dreamed about buying an island and calling it five by five island. And um, anyone who, you know, thinks that they're going to go and train needs to spend four years on five by five island with just a barbell where they're going to squat, they're going to deadlift, they're going to overhead press, they're going to bench and do all their assistance movement with a barbell. After their, you know, stint on five by five island is done, they're allowed to come back to the mainland and then they can start asking questions about assistance movements and reverse hypers and doing all this other stuff. Because the reality of the situation is, just as you talked about, is just everyone wants to specialize so quickly. Everyone wants to be Phil Heath and everyone wants to do what these people are doing, who their heroes are, and that's great. And, you know, your point is directly right on is that, you know, it's not about what they are right now. It's about the road that they took to get there. You know, if you would if you would really ask Phil and you would be honest with you and I'm pretty sure he is. He's a pretty cool dude. You know, I mean, that guy, I believe that guy was a collegiate lacrosse player. If I'm, I mean, he has some sort of a, a, an interesting sports background or a basketball player, something along those lines turned bodybuilder. So this guy has been just athletic his whole life. So, I mean, it's not, you know, it, it, it's not a, a complete mistake that he is there. You know I mean? He's had again, genetic gifts, but he's also just really worked very, very hard in order to get there. And uh, a lot of people don't want to do that. They just want the end product, but you know, it's taken him 20 years to get there. I was, uh, uh, John was uh, ragging on me. Someone asked me a question about um, how long it took me to, you know, pull 800 pounds. And I said it roughly about 32 years, which is uh, about how old I was in order to do it. And, you know, I thought it, I knew it was a trick question when it when it was asked to me, you know, because someone's trying to prove a point or something along those lines. And I thought, what's the most honest answer that I can come up with? And I was just like, you know what, this is this is the right answer. You know, and if anyone else is gonna tell you, you know, that there's some well, I've only been training for three years. So like, yeah, that's that's cute, that's nice, but you know, everything that you've done to lead up to this point you know, has also aided uh, to, for you to get here. You know what I mean? Just every little decision that you made, every sport that you played, every coach that you had do some weird, weird exercise, you know, some guy who, you know, used to do a bunch of stretches with you during at a football game or whatever it is, got you to this point and prepared you for that deadlift or that bodybuilding show or whatever it really is. So people just need to, you know, accumulate a lot of volume, a lot of reps in order to really go ahead and express their, you know, physicality in any sort of way that they want to. Dude, the, uh, the kids I worked with yesterday, uh, the, their biggest question about nutrition was what supplements they should be taking. Right. Exactly. And, and I, I like fucking like almost had this out of body fucking experience where I was like, uh, you know what supplements are, right? And they were like, what? I'm like, they're supplements. Like there's right. supplement to something like where are you deficient? And like the way I look at it is, is like assistance work is assistance work. Um, you know, there's no way to supplement out a bad diet. There's no way to out assistance, a shitty program or shitty effort. Like right. at the end of the day, like, I don't know how to, you know, like if you don't have enough time under the bar, if you haven't done it, if you haven't put in the hours, there's no amount of fucking assistance work. There's no magical assistance work. That's naturally going to fix it. Like pe people are always like, Oh, you know, um, uh, you know, my press sucks. What type of assistance work should I be doing? And I'm like, uh, fuck, I don't know. Uh, you know yeah. Let press. me see your press. Like, it, you know, like I, I can't tell you if it's just the fact that you suck at pressing or you have weak triceps. Is it the fact that you don't understand body position? You don't know how to use your body. Um, you know, is it that your shoulders are weak? I mean, it's all these things. And so we try to develop a well-rounded program that really hits all these things universally. But at the end of the day, like there's no, 
uh, substitute for just time underneath the bar. And right. I think that's what is become kind of, you know, but this is the kind of the CrossFit thing where it's like, you know, Hey, we're going to, we're going to magically develop all of these 10 principles of fitness. We're going to magically develop all these at the same time. But dude, there's uh, like, you know, I can get, I, I can get you in the best shape of your life in about six to eight weeks, but I can't get you strong in six to eight weeks. I can't teach you the lifts in six to eight weeks. I mean, I can get you proficient enough to where if you walked in somewhere, people would think you've done it before. But to really understand the minutia and like really put in the expert, I mean, that's why, you know, that's why guys train. That's why guys train an entire lifetime to be the best is because it it takes time. It just, it, yeah. yeah, that's it. And I, I always like to tell people who are, you know, when I have newbies or whatever, and then this is going to go right along to, you know, the coaching style that you're talking about. Like, you know, I'm very adept at how people move and how to correct it and how to make it better. And, you know, it's taken me a long time in order to develop that. But if you watch me actually coach people, I don't really do a bunch of anything. It's just, you know, do more of this, more of that. Um, and there's a there's a great story about Tony Gwynn and um, Ted Williams, both baseball players. Again, kind of showing my background here. Um, and Ted Williams was probably one of the best, you know, best hitters ever, if not the best hitter ever. Um, and Tony Gwynn was telling a story about him as a coach and um he was probably the worst coach ever. So best hitter, worst coach. Um, when he would be telling guys what to do, he'd be like, hey, guys, what you're doing is you're hitting the top right-hand corner of that ball when the fat when a two-seam fastball is coming. What you guys need to do <laughs> is hit the bottom left-hand corner of this ball. If you're able to do that and keep your, keep your elbow in and kind of have a little bit of an uppercut, that's how you're going to hit the home runs, boys. That's what, you know, is going to get us those two-run two run home runs and that's what's going to win us ball games. And some Jesus. guy raised his hand and like, you, you can see quadrants of the ball. And he's just like, what you guys can't like, yeah, yeah. you guys just need to hit more. You guys just need to hit more. Well, and that that's... Was for a lot of everything. And I mean, that's kind of what I fall into. I fall into the Ted Williams syndrome where I'm like, just press more, just squat more, just deadlift more. You know, there's not, you know, I, I'm worried about my background. You know, it's like, you know what? You just need to do more. Just, you know, your your back isn't is rounding not because of, you know, one thing or the other, lack of mobility. It's because you're not strong. Just go get stronger a little bit and then we can talk about the other stuff as we go. Yeah, that sounds like old man saying it's the old guy we used to train with. That was his answer for everything. I was like, Well, my squats suck. He's like, Well, you're obviously not strong enough. <laughs> and, and I, and, and I remember everything would like, it was like one of those things where I was like, well, I, you know, if I, uh, if, if my deadlift gets up and my squat gets up, I should be able to run faster. He's like, well, yeah, that'll help if you're stronger, but you're not. And it was just such a hilarious deal. And I remember th I thought he was just being a fucking old asshole. And then I got older and I realized I'm like, yeah, I am that old asshole. Yeah. I, I basically morphed into this old dick and it was, uh, but you know what? Like, uh, that's another big thing too. And this is the other problem with the internet is, uh, everybody's so fucking sensitive on the internet. I'm like, you know, you, you tell somebody that and they say, fuck you on the internet. And like I, when I was a 14 year old kid and I had to go over there and I was like, so what's the problem? He's like, well, you're really fucking pitifully weak. It wasn't like I could have gone over and typed on my keyboard and blogged and been like, my coach just said that I'm a fucking weak. I'm, I'm 14 years old. Yeah. Every 14 year old's weak. Get fucking stronger. <laughs> You know, so it's like, I, you know, that's part of the, like, I, 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 I just never in my life have seen people that are more sensitive. And I think that ability to hide behind the keyboard and it's something that, you know, I, I talked to Sean Waxman about is he's like, man, I, I don't know how to coach you unless you come here and let me work with you. So I talked right. to him this morning and he's like, you know, all these people want to send me videos and have me send them programs and I help them. But he's like, at the end of the day, like 
it's me working with you and me seeing these things and progressing and helping you in this journey. And I don't know how to take you on this journey virtually. And he's like, I wish I could have like a webcam and this. And he's like, it just, it, you know, it, it's, it's people want to do it from the comfort of their own home and it doesn't work. So, but, uh, I'm hearing the barbarians at the gate, so I'm going to have to sign off guys. All right. Sounds good. That's good, Thanks. man. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks Jesse. Yeah, thanks, hey, John. Thanks, thanks so Jesse. much for uh, having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Oh, dude, we'll thanks get up. you back on. It was a good time. Cool. All right. See, see you guys. See you, Denny. Thanks, guys. Right, guys. Yep. Take care. Take care. Talk to you next week.